Straw Hut Media. I'm standing in the shower next to Ali Rashid, the Ali Rashid. Sure, we're both completely naked and there are plenty of other body parts my eyes could wander toward, but I can't look away from his eyebrows, of all things. His big, bushy, glorious, effing eyebrows. I've never even noticed another person's before Ali's, I don't think. But his are different, I guess. I've stared at them so many times, mostly across crowded classrooms or dreamily through Instagram filters. I bet I could sketch them from memory, follicle by follicle. Yes, that's a super weird gay thing to admit, I know. But hi, I'm a gay weirdo, apparently. Can I kiss you, Sky? He asks. The hazel of his eyes disappears behind long, curly eyelashes. They're as beautiful as the brows, so jet black and thick they could, like, sign a modeling contract all on their own, I swear. I can't wait to tell our gaybies, gay plus babies, about this moment someday, their dad's first kiss. They'll probably be grossed out, but that's okay. Sky, let's go, Bree's mom yells right outside the bathroom door. My whole body jolts awake from my daydream. Or my shower dream? Yeah, that's more like it. Let's call it that. My Ali shower dream. I have them from time to time. Did that hook you? Yeah, are you kidding? We're talking about body parts in the shower and bushy eyebrows and nakedness. Oh yeah, they're hooked. Yeah, my dad was like, wow, that started out pretty intense. I'm like, it, it's not all that intense, dad. You can keep reading. Yeah. You're like, that, that's, that's about as R-rated as we're getting. It's YA. Yes. When I was a kid, I loved going to school book fairs. And library day was one of my favorite days of the week. Well, next to pizza day in the cafeteria. Remember the pizza, it was in like a pan, it was really thin. Anyway, looking back, I always found interesting reads. But to be honest, none of the YA books I read included queer characters. Sure, occasionally I'd meet a character I connected with and interpreted as queer, but those characters were never explicitly LGBTQ. But queer kids today have a lot more options, and more LGBTQ-themed YA books are being published every year. Today, we're speaking with Robbie Couch, a storyteller who's about to release his newest book, The Sky Blues. You just heard the first page, but now, Robbie tells us all about how he went from journalism school to writing queer young adult books and why these stories are so important for young teens to have access to. Being consumed by a good book is one of the simple things in life, but it has so much more meaning to it when the characters are relatable. Like being queer, for example. Libraries have not always been stocked with these stories, but that's slowly changing, thanks to authors like Robbie. I'm Robbie Couch, and this is Pride. Robbie is from a small town in Michigan, and if you want to know exactly where... I don't know if, if you've ever seen people from Michigan do the hand thing where they point to their hands to signify where they're the from. Is this the mitten? Yes, it's the mitten. And I don't, I don't know if people just listening will be able to see me, but I'm holding my hand up. Um, and yeah, I'm from about an hour and a half north of Detroit, so like in the thumbish area. And He's in between the thumb and the index finger for everyone who cannot yes. see. That's the location. Okay, setting the scene predominantly white conservative area of the country, which 
um, we might get into a little bit when we talk about the sky blues. Um, and yeah, I, I came out of the closet when I was when I went away to school when I was 18. I went to Michigan State, which was about an hour away from my hometown. Leaving home and having that new freedom was life changing for Robbie, and he was able to explore his sexuality more openly. That was a pretty, obviously, a, a big moment in my life, uh, coming out and suddenly being a part of a marginalized community in a, a, a real way that opened my eyes to a lot of things that I hadn't really been thinking about before, and I saw the world in a new way. Um, and that, I think, really inspired a lot of the storytelling that I began to do. I was a journalism major, so it started to inform the types of stories I wanted to cover. And then later in my career, um, after kind of getting away from the more uh, newsier side of my writing and my journalism background um, and wanting to go into writing novels in YA, I eventually found my place in, in queer YA uh, just because I am a part of this community and I want to make stories that uh, make a, a big difference to people like me in our community. Soon, he created Sky Baker, an openly gay teenager who's determined to ask his crush to the senior prom. The world that he inhabits, you know, the fictional Rockledge, Michigan, I definitely drew from a lot of my experiences growing up in, a, you know, a, a rural Rust Belt town, a lot of the attitudes that people had, a lot of the way uh, that people communicated with each other. Um, and I think the idea of wanting to escape, you know, I think a lot of young marginalized people see the bigger world out there and they want to get out of their suffocating hometowns. And I think you see that a lot in Sky's experience. And that was certainly my experience as well. But the story is not an autobiography of Robbie's life. And Sky is a character all his own. There's many more differences than there are similarities between who we are and the experiences that we had. Sky deals with family rejection. Um, he has a horribly homophobic thing happen to him at school. Um, I wasn't out in high school. I came out when I was 18, when I went away to college. So I didn't deal with that direct, blatant homophobia in the same way that, that Sky uh, did in the book. Growing up in a small town can definitely be tough. In my experience growing up in Rimrock, Arizona, finding a friend can be a lifesaver. Robbie had a similar experience. In kindergarten, we were both five, but he is gay. So that was maybe even weirder that we like happened to meet each other and then become like best friend soulmates forever. But in addition to a best friend, Robbie found allyship everywhere, especially when he started looking for it. Um, just like the smallest things that you would notice as a closeted kid, like if a teacher had a, a small rainbow flag in their classroom or um, just seeing my dad or an adult that I was with being really kind and compassionate and making jokes with, you know, a cashier at the grocery store who is like very openly queer, right? Just seeing those small um, but very impactful moments of, of seeing adults and other teens that, uh, you know, really making an effort to make sure that, you know, this is an inclusive space and I don't care that you might be different. I accept you and I love you. Um, and I think that's really important for all adults to keep that in mind because even if you don't feel as though you know a queer kid or a gay kid, at, if you're a teacher or you work with kids in any capacity, there likely is an LGBTQ kid around you, even if they're not out yet. And everything you say and you do, um, they're watching. And I know for me and so many queer kids, they're, you're constantly looking for safe spaces. You're constantly looking for allies. And so I think it's really important for 
adults, not just in small towns, but everywhere to, to keep that in mind as they move throughout the world. Robbie began writing The Sky Blues a few years ago. He had gone back and forth on who he wanted Sky to be until this one moment really brought the character to life. It was when, back in 2016, I was writing for a website called Upworthy, which some people are probably familiar with. Upworthy is a website that gives a platform to positive storytelling. And um, I did a story on LGBTQ youth homelessness. And for the story, I talked to a variety of different young people in their 20s and 30s who had experienced uh, homelessness as a teenager, as a kid, because they were queer. And it was such an eye-opening experience because before that, I, of course, knew about the issue of, of uh, homelessness among queer youth and I knew it was a, a big problem. But actually hearing from those people who had experienced it in such real horrible ways and being rejected and being on the street at, as a 15-year-old just because you're gay or you're trans or you're bi, it was truly uh, eye-opening and really moved me. And I think it was at that moment that I knew I wanted to, uh, to use family rejection and homelessness as one of the themes in The Sky Blues. Reports show that LGBTQ youth can make up as much as 40% of the homeless youth population. Of that population, studies show that as many as 60% are likely to attempt suicide. And I remember one of the people I spoke to, one of the people who had been homeless, this isn't like an exact quote verbatim, but they said something to the effect of homelessness isn't just losing a physical space, it's, it's being spiritually and mentally displaced. And that really hit home with me because it, it, it is so much more about just not having you know, physical shelter, which is of course so critical, but it's also feeling as though society just truly does not care about you. And to think that young LGBTQ people are in that position and have nowhere to turn is just horrifying. So it really moved me uh, writing that story and interviewing those people. And I knew that I wanted to, to fold in that theme into Sky's story. And that was sort of a light bulb moment where a lot came together with who he was and what he was dealing with and how they could take the story from there. Robbie partially drew inspiration from his own life and experiences to shape Sky, but he also had help from others. I guess I'm technically, by definition, a writer, an author. I, I consider myself a storyteller just because I not only read books, but I got a lot of inspiration from film and from movies and all different forms of storytelling. While Robbie is a huge fan of most of the popular YA book series, some of his childhood favorites might surprise you. I remember really, really falling in love with the book Anti-Mame, which some people have heard of. It's from, it's from the 50s. I think it came out in, I think it was published in 1955. It's by uh, an author named Patrick Dennis. And um, it, I just, it was the first book that I read that truly, I just, I just got lost in it and I could not put it down. I finished it in like two days, which for me is, I'm kind of a slow reader. So to finish any, a book in two days is like lightning fast for me. Um, and I just loved it. It was, and even though, because it was the fifties, it wasn't explicitly queer. There was a lot of queer undertones in the book. And it was about this kid who was an orphan and kind of got swept away in these crazy adventures with, with his very flamboyant 
eccentric anti-mame. And uh, there was actually a movie that came out after the book. And, and just a caveat, if anyone checks it out, because it's from the 50s, there's certainly some dated <laughs> themes and terms to it that would not live up in 2021. So I just want to throw that out there. I'm not fully endorsing everything about the book, but it was the, fir the first book that I truly got lost in and couldn't put down. Um, and even though there's been some some clear issues and, and problematic things with the author of uh, Harry Potter more recently. Um, I was definitely a Harry Potter kid. I got so swept up and lost in the Harry Potter series. And, and Harry was always about my age, almost to the year, whenever a new book would come out. And I was I was one of those those crazy Harry Potter kids that ate it up. And, and Harry Potter was really like a, a form of escapism for me growing up, which I think a lot of queer people can relate to. So yeah, hearing from those or reading those stories and, and really getting lost in them was so important for me as, as a young queer kid. And I know that's the case with a lot of other LGBTQ kids. Harry Potter author JK Rowling has been under fire for multiple anti-trans statements she made on Twitter. Many fans of her books have been battling whether or not they can separate the author from the art because of the author's hurtful opinions. It's a tough call. And navigating separating the artist from their art is a personal decision. And it's something that I've wrestled with for sure. I, I'm kind of of the mindset that if you're an author and you produce a piece of work and it gets published, it's, I mean, yes, it's your work, absolutely. But at the same time, once you share it with the world, it becomes a whole new thing. And the fact that Harry Potter is living in the imaginations of, I mean, truly, maybe billions of people at this point around the world. And it's been such a positive force for good for so many millions of people. That counts for something. So I, I don't think it's fair to completely throw the baby out with the bathwater just because J.K. Rowling is a turf and has these incredibly problematic and harmful viewpoints. Um, and I think, to me, it sort of comes down to how can we not support the transphobia that J.K. Rowling has spouted, but still support Harry Potter in other ways if, if we choose to do that. So buying, you know, the used book from a bookstore where J.K. Rowling's probably not making any money off of that, right? But, you know, there, I think there are ways to kind of divest from J.K. Rowling in a certain sense without completely cutting off Harry Potter. Um, but it's tough and it's, I know it's complicated and I, I know a lot of people feel lots of different ways about it. So I don't pretend to think that my opinion is the only right one, but that's sort of how I've tried to approach it. When we come back, we'll discuss why stories like the sky blues are desperately needed in the literature world, especially within the YA genre. Welcome back. Today we're talking about the queer side of YA novels and how important it is to normalize LGBTQ stories and make them available for young teens to read. A lot of LGBTQ media focuses the story only on the character's coming out moment. And there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone loves a good coming out story, am I right? But Robbie wanted to try something a little different. I think it's important as we hear more queer stories that we're kind of hearing from all different uh, experiences from the queer community. And there's so much more to being queer, obviously, than just coming out. Um, so with Sky's story, he comes out 
um, a little bit prior to the start of the book. Coming out is not the end of someone's story. It is often the beginning of a new chapter in their lives. Robbie gears his story to answer the question, what happens now? So he's still in that awkward phase where he's trying to get comfortable in his own skin, and he's trying to navigate these really turbulent waters um, at his high school where it feels like, yes, I'm out of the closet, but am I, am I really free to be myself? Can I be openly, proudly, loudly queer and not you know, feel the negative ramifications of that? And unfortunately, as Guy learns, you know, he does deal with homophobia in a really blatant, direct way. Um, and I think it's important to show that aspect of, of his life and of a character's life because, you know, when j just coming out, it, you know, there's a, there's a lot that comes after that. And a lot of times it is kind of, there, there's some rough waters, um, but coming out is a huge part of every queer person's life and um, does set you up for success. So I kind of wanted to highlight that, that part of Sky's story. A few books have been written with queer themes, but the first one to be labeled as YA was I'll Get There, It Better Be Worth the Trip. It was written by John Donovan and published in 1969. After that, others began popping up throughout the 1970s, but the rate they were being published was only one per year. It was a slow start, but almost every state at that time labeled homosexuality as a crime or a mental disorder, according to the American Psychiatric Association. So the response to these stories being published was not great. Queer representation today is improving, though we still have a ways to go, and publishing rates have increased to more than 50 queer YA novels a year. But it's been really recent. I think in the past few years, there's been a big influx of um, queer YA authors who have, who have written terrific books. To name a few. There's been authors like Becky Albertalli, who wrote Love, Simon book, um, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda. Adam Silvera is a friend of mine, actually, who's written so many great uh, queer-themed YA books. Um, Leah Johnson has another prom-themed <laughs> uh, queer YA novel. Uh, Julian Winters, I could go on and on. It's been difficult for those stories to, to have the same sort of mainstream success, at least historically, because the fact that, you know, there's this idea that because it's queer themed, it's not for everyone or it's a niche audience. And so it gets overlooked. And so I think there's been some really powerful, great stories that maybe haven't had the sort of access to um, bigger markets because of the themes, but that doesn't necessarily mean the stories weren't wonderful. Publishers used to believe there wasn't an LGBTQ plus teen audience to target. Boy, were they wrong. Once these books began to surpass sales expectations, a movement for queer literature began. But again, it's slowly progressing. Though I do think uh, there's certainly room for more. I'm someone who's like, until, um, until every book has like a queer element to it, I think we need more. It's sort of like the, um, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote. Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, when I'm sometimes asked, when will there be enough women on the Supreme Court? And I say, when there are nine. People are shocked. But there'd been nine men, and nobody ever raised a question about that. And I'm kind of the same way with queer, queer stories. It's like, hey, there's no, there's no like magical number that once we reach it, we've had enough. Like, let's make all the stories. I think we need many more of them. And I think, unfortunately, we're still in a position where 
certain types of queer stories are being told, and we need more stories from trans people, from people of color, from uh, from all from LGBTQ people from all walks of life. So we still have progress to be made in that aspect as well. The inclusion of other identities in queer-themed YA, like trans and asexual people, is much more recent, like the past 20 years. The first trans story to be published was most likely not until 2004 with Luna by Julie Ann Peters. Since then, some mainstream publications have released autobiographical nonfiction from trans authors, but the number of stories is still slim. And the world of queer YA literature remains overwhelmingly white. But even after LGBTQ stories are written and published, it can be difficult to get them in the hands of readers. Some conservative towns and schools have rejected queer stories and forced them into a restricted section. It's hard, even, you know, back in my, um, it's not my hometown, but where my parents live now in, in Michigan, um, the last time I was home, there was big controversy around the queer themed books in the high school library being like in a restricted area where the kids would need to get parental permission just to check out the book. And I'm not talking, you know, pornography, R-rated themes. I'm talking about like books for kids that just happen to have gay or queer themes or characters to them, um, which to me, it feels like, what is this, you know, 1950, like for real? Um, so it is, a, to your point, it is a big issue. And I know in many communities around the country, there's still this resistance to really being inclusive to queer stories in libraries and schools. And so um, I'm hoping that Sky Blues can be a part of, you know, that positive shift towards more inclusivity and, uh, and a more diverse books getting into the hands of kids. Robbie is publishing his book with the help of Simon & Schuster, the third largest publishing company in the U.S. No big deal, right? But even working with a big publisher, how does that ensure his books get through the restricted section when it comes to queer stories? I am in a very privileged and good position to be working with a, a big publisher that has a lot of ins in different spaces, working with librarians and, and teachers. And um, there's a few things on my um, book events schedule, for example, where I'm talking to students and going into classrooms. Um, so they definitely are making, my, my publisher, Simon & Schuster, is definitely making an effort to, to do that and, and reach kids where they are so they have access to these stories. And an even bigger question is why do queer stories end up in the restricted areas? I think there is this ingrained idea that anything LGBTQ themed is inherently for adults or for, uh, it's, you know, R-rated. And I think because so, so much of being LGBTQ is, you know, it's a, a part of your sexuality and your gender identity. So there's this immediate, uh, connection to it being something that's, you know, quote unquote, mature, but that's really not the case. Uh, LGBTQ people are all different ages. We come from all different backgrounds and experiences. Uh, and I think it's really important for young people. If you, if you were the parent, I would say, you know, your son or daughter is in a position where they're really trying to figure out who they are. And it's so critical that they have access to media where they can hear or read stories that represent who they are and represent their identities. Um, it's, it's so critical. It even it's, it's become cliche to say representation matters, but it truly, truly does matter. And if you can't see yourself in the world around you and uh, characters like you fulfilling roles um, in all facets of society, it's really hard to see yourself 
uh, in in your own future. It's really hard to see where what path you're going to go down. It's something I absolutely experienced when I was younger. So I would say, let them check out the books and and then go from there. Robbie didn't read his first queer story until he was in his 20s. So having the book at a younger age? Oh my gosh, it would have been huge. It would have been really, really big. I remember the first, the first uh, queer YA book I read was by Adam Silvera, who was the author I mentioned earlier. Um, and he wrote More Happy Than Not. And I read it in my 20s. I wasn't a, a young kid, but even reading it in, in my 20s was a pretty emotional experience because it was the first time that I saw a, a read a YA novel that centered the perspective and experiences of, of someone like me. And it was a really, really cool and important thing that I experienced reading that book. And so I can only imagine what it would have been like to have access to queer YA if I was in middle school or high school. And that's a big reason why I wanted to write The Sky Blues, because hopefully uh, there's some kid out there that will see themselves in Sky Story and uh, it'll make a, a difference to them. I hope that young people find hope in it. They can laugh at it and escape into it and also be able to know that this world is for them and they have a place in it. Um, but at the same time, I think beyond that, the story is hopefully special um, to each individual person that reads it in its own way. The Sky Blues is Robbie's first novel, and he's already hard at work cooking up a second one. Yeah, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about book number two. Um, it is called Blaine for the Win, and it, it it's not it's not a part of the Sky Blue. It's not a sequel to the Sky Blues. It's a it's a totally different story, uh, but it's still uh, queer uh, YA themed genre, um, and it's actually a sort of modern uh, retelling of Legally Blonde, which it's it's been so much fun to write. It's very rom commy. Um, and it's, I should say, it's, it's not an exact retelling. It's more like an inspired by, but the bones of the story are, are very similar to Legally Blonde. And there's definitely some, you know, some nods to the Legally Blonde story in, in, the, uh, in the book. And I'm in the final stages of re, uh, revisions of that book now. And it doesn't have a published date yet, but it will be likely in spring of 2022. So I'm very excited about it. It was, um, Sky Blues was a, a blast to write in many ways, but there was certainly some more sobering, serious elements to it that made it um, tough to write at some points. And even though Blaine for the Wind definitely has a lot of heart to it, um, it's it's definitely been a blast to write because, I mean, it's legally blonde. So it's it's been really, really fun. So I cannot wait for it to get out to the world. You can hear more about Sky Baker and his plans for the gayest promposal Rockledge, Michigan has ever seen in Robbie Couch's new novel, The Sky Blues, available everywhere. It is out on April 6th, but you can pre-order it now. And um, it's available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, any uh, local bookstore in your area. And if you go to uh, my Instagram, at Robbie Couch, um, or Twitter, at Robbie underscore Couch, uh, you can see the the way to buy it right in my bio. I have a link. So definitely check it out, April 6th.
Thanks for listening. Pride is a production of Straw Hut Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're tuning in from. Share us with your friends, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Pride. Yes, it's at Pride. It's that easy. Pride is produced by me, Levi Chambers, Maggie Bowles, Ryan Tillotson, and Caitlin McDaniel. Edited by Sebastian Alcala. The opening uh, few sentences are a little, uh, can I say steamy? I guess they're kind of steamy. Oh, um, I like steamy. <laughs>